Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Logan Jones and Evan Knowles here. And today we sat down and talked with the founder and CEO of BrainStem University, Ricky Mason. Uh, so Ricky and I got to meet at the Indie Tech Tour. So shout out to Jake Butler for bringing us together. Um, and BrainStem University is doing some awesome work in the education technology space. Uh, so they're kind of going a, about it in a hybrid approach, engaging students both in person and through metaverse technologies. And they're helping students get more involved and uh, helping them realize passions within the STEM field. So that stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And me personally, I think that this is a really important mission to be going after. I think that there's uh, a lot of things broken within education currently. Uh, when you think of things like teacher attrition rate and even the salaries that, that we pay our teachers, uh, I think when you, when you think of students, you have to think that that is the future of our society and of a lot of the industries that are going to play a major role in taking us to where we want to go as a country. Uh, so I really enjoyed this interview. Evan, what do you think about it? Yeah, I was, I was blown away by Ricky's background with Me too. Uh, the military, like, uh, NASA, the CIA. You know, he's got such an awesome STEM background. And for him to be taking that passion of his and his background and expertise and then passing that on to students uh, is a really special thing. So, um, you know, thanks to, you know, Ricky for, you know, what the future looks like. I'm sure it's going to be brighter because of what people like him are building. Uh, and, and Kentucky needs it. You know, we're a few thousand jobs short in the technology space and uh, we need more people uh, developing software, uh, building machines, uh, and just developing technology in general across all fields. And mm -hmm. uh, we need to do that from the beginning of somebody's educational um, life cycle and, and kindergarten and beyond and grade school, uh, which is exactly what uh, Ricky and his team are doing. Yeah. And I've mentioned this kind of thing before. Uh, it first came up when we talked to Brian Moyer of the Nashville Technology Council, and he was talking about going all the way down into elementary schools uh, to just introduce kids to these career paths. So especially within STEM fields. I think those are some of the most important fields that you can uh, expose kids to at a young, young age, just because there's so many incredible paths that they can go on if they, uh, if they take to that. So awesome interview. Very excited for you guys to take a listen. Before we dive in, we just want to get a quick word from our sponsors. And one more note before we dive into sponsors, we are doing some audience survey stuff. So uh, we'd really appreciate it if you go and check out the audience survey that is in our description. Uh, we just want to know a little bit more about what our listeners enjoy hearing from us. So uh, we'll let you hear from our sponsors and then get on into the episode. Middle Tech is presented by KY Innovation, the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development's Entrepreneurship and Innovation Partner. KY Innovation exists to support and develop Kentucky's startup ecosystem, and we are proud to work alongside an organization whose mission aligns so closely with ours. If you're a founder building in Kentucky, you need to check out the resources that KY Innovation has to offer. You can find more information at kyinnovation.com. All right, guys, let's get into it. We are here with Ricky Mason of BrainStem University. Uh, Ricky is the founder and CEO of BrainStem. Ricky, thanks for taking the time to join us, man. How are you doing this evening? Pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You and I got to meet uh, when we were up in Indianapolis for the Indie Tech Tour with Jake Butler. And, uh, been wanting to get you on since then, so I'm glad we finally made some time to do it. Um, as we get started here, we just want to quickly cover your background, so just tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, and then lead that into starting BrainStem, and we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, man. So I tell everybody, uh, my background's engineering, real full-stack engineer is kind of um, the title. Um, I say I go from like PCB to the cloud is kind of my wheelhouse. 
um, and kind of, you know, gaining those skills. I've had some pretty cool um, opportunities um, to work for some pretty cool companies along, you know, that journey. Um, so kind of background, um, undergrad in electrical engineering, master's in electrical computer engineering from John Hopkins, and I'm ABD for a PhD from the University of Kentucky um, in electrical engineering. But um, kind of over my career, I've had the opportunity to work at the Department of Defense kind of as a weapons test engineer. So I actually got to do real life Call of Duty exercises uh, while testing those vehicles and blowing them up and testing them um, and making sure that they're meeting specifications and protecting our soldiers like they say that they are uh, when they're I feel, like we gotta, I feel like we got to pause on that. That sounds wild. So talk, talk just a little bit more briefly about what you're actually doing there. Were you out in the field like testing these vehicles and actually trying to destroy them? I and mean, what was that job like? That sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, man. So that was my primary job was to try to break the specs. So to come up with the test to try to break the specs um, from the manufacturer uh, from whatever vehicle um, that might have been. So I worked primarily with like the Bradley, which is kind of like the smaller version of the Abrams tank. And um, so I was working on, you know, the computer systems, the accuracy, the calibrations, making sure that that, you know, everything remained accurate as we, you know, drove the tank as it did missions. So I got to fire the tank, you know, after driving so many miles and doing those missions, I got to fire it and uh, do all that testing, like the accuracy. I got to uh, fire the M1 Abrams. I got to actually test the Crow system uh, before it made it to Call of Duty <laughs> and made it to theater. So I got to test that. I actually got to blow up the uh, MRAP, the mine-resistant armor-piercing vehicle, to make sure that it was actually mine-resistant and armor-piercing. So we uh, found the weaknesses um, and the weak points in that vehicle. So, man, it was just an awesome experience, like um, just actually being able to play with those types of toys like every day for work. Yeah, that sounds like the ultimate form of play. And then, uh, yeah, continue on with, with your background from there. So lead us on into starting starting Brainstem. Yeah, so from there, man, um, had some other cool opportunities. So I worked at the United Launch Alliance down in NASA, Cape Canaveral, had the opportunity to launch five rockets while I was down there. So I launched a couple of our GPS satellites um, down there. I launched a, a Juno the satellite that's taking pictures of Jupiter right now and sending those beautiful things back. Um, and I uh, worked on and launched Aquarius, another satellite that's kind of uh, studying our atmosphere and how the tides affect our uh, weather. Um, after that, I worked at the CIA as a computer engineer, so developing um, and automating our systems and our virtual platforms um, was kind of my, my job and wheelhouse, so I kind of worked on those systems all over the world. And then came to the University of Kentucky, where I landed as an adjunct faculty and engineer researcher in the College of Agriculture. So that's kind of where I really would say that I got into like virtualization and 3D, um, I guess, metaverse and game design was there during my PhD project was to uh, create a game that basically virtualized the welding process so that we could teach uh, robots how to weld just like skilled welders. So that was kind of my um, PhD project. And then um, from there, though, man, I saw a need um, in STEM. So um, working at the college, we're struggling to give scholarships away to students um, in STEM. And I'm like, why are we struggling to give these scholarships away? I knew I wanted to do this in the fifth grade. And that was when it hit me. I'm like, the fifth grade. I knew I wanted to do this since the fifth grade. And most people that I talk to, they are saying like, oh, man, I knew I... I decided I wanted to be an engineer in high school because someone told me I was good at math and science and that's what I should do. Or I saw the salary of an engineer and was like, yeah, that's what I, I want to do. And I'm like, wow, man, I mean, I know that all of those things sound intriguing and they are motivating, but nothing is 
uh, going to really motivate you to do calculus for <laughs> at 2 a.m. or, um, you know, go through some of those tough classes because it's not easy. I mean, yeah, you can do algebra and maybe work through some, you know, science problems in, you know, your high school, but it's really um, tough uh, making it through a complete engineering program, especially with the distractions of college um, in your face. So, that was where we thought about starting Brainstem to, you know, get students involved early and create that passion, that drive, um, and that um, that ability to solve tough problems over and over again. And as we, you know, build up on that skill set before they get to college, so that when they come to college, they're prepared to, you know, take on um, those opportunities. Um, and you know, even going further back for me. I was one of those students that I would say was unprepared for an engineering uh, degree coming into college. Like people don't know that that path starts in the you know middle school. So my parents had to know that I was going to be an engineer in middle school to get me into algebra one by the eighth grade. So I could be on the path to take calculus my senior year of high school. So those are the things that are kind of missing there and the missing like links that we were thinking um, needed to be filled. And that's why we started Brainstem. So for you personally, what was your motivating factor? Like, wh why were you able to get through all of that and, and know you wanted to do that, you know, going into college or what was it that drove you? Man, I said in the fifth grade, I met a robotics engineer at my school and um, <clears throat> he worked at IBM. He um, came and did an assembly. I got the opportunity to go up and program the robot with punch cards um, to make it do something. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I really just did that. And I went home and started researching. And I told my mom immediately, like, mom, I think I want to be a robotics engineer. And mom, I researched and most of the robots are being sent to Mars. So I guess I got to become an astronaut also. So that kind of began my dream of, you know, wanting to be what I call a pro engineer. Like, how do you get more pro as a STEM professional than becoming an astronaut? So that was kind of the, the dream there. And the what time. about your personality? So you've done some amazing things. I mean, there's a very tiny percentage of people that can say they've done as many of those things you've done in your background. What, what about your personality do you think lends itself to being able to accomplish what you have so far? Oh, yeah, man. I think um, just um, being, um, I guess, very focused, I guess, would be my, um, and confidence um, in my, my ability and the willing to work hard and admit where I am, like, you know, right now in the moment. Like, I, I don't have a problem with being at the bottom and climbing to the top um, of, whatever place I am, whatever industry, whatever. And I actually enjoy, you know, that I feel like sports really taught me, you know, a lot of those lessons and instilled that drive um, in me, man. I mean, I, I played on a football team my senior year that went 0-11 and, and I was the captain of that team. So you could imagine showing up every day as the captain of an 0-11 football team and having to, you know, still put forth the effort and, you know, lead your team into to battle every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's uh, That's just – learning how to deal with adversity, which, you know, when you're in something like the STEM field, I feel like you're constantly trying to, you know, push past adversity in terms of just solving really complex problems. Like, and I'm not even in any STEM field, so I'm not necessarily speaking from experience, but I remember going to some, you know, those science classes and science like summer camps that you went to as a kid and they kind of weeded me out just because they were so hard. So I feel like that fit, like figuring out how to push past adversity is probably a, a huge part of that part of that uh of your own journey yeah that man played into that yeah and finding that passion right you got to find something that's going to drive a, a kid to want to learn like you're not sure. gonna 
just tell them, hey, go in, you know, learn coding and they're going to pick up. I mean, some kids will like they're really driven, but I wasn't that kid. I saw other kids, you know, making TI-84 games on their calculator and I'm looking at them like, oh, that's so cool. And then they showed me the code. I'm like, bro, I would never do that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a. Uh, I think that's one of the like most important parts of trying to like when we think of what does the future of our country look like or what does the future of this industry look like and how do we get more people involved in an industry? You have to not only introduce it to them at a young age, like that's what that's what you're kind of talking about. You got involved in the fifth grade, but you have to introduce it to them in the right way. Like, especially you have to get into the brain of that kid that you're trying to teach and just think of, you know, what what interested me at that age and how can I present this to that to that student? So let's get into brainstem a little bit. Talk about, you know, how that started and how you guys kind of approach that challenge in itself of of making STEM fun for kids. Yeah. So that was the, you know, the big key. I, I started Brainstem and our slogan was dream, create, innovate, but to increase the number of students participating in STEM, you know, activities to inspire, you know, STEM students. And that's the, the main key is like finding that like main thing that's going to create that spark. Like I said, that robot for me. So uh, when we started Brainstem, the goal was, you know, just that to create more programs to get students involved where they could meet, uh, you know, an engineer, and um, so we started partnering with nonprofits and schools um, kind of across the um, Kentucky Anna area. Um, and we launched um, with um, our aerospace engineering program with uh, JCPS. We launched um, our after school program with um, a few nonprofits uh, throughout the city. And that was kind of our start. So started um, teaching kids aerospace engineering. We did um, how to become an astronaut, like uh, camps and things like that. We had our robotics camps going on all over the city where we're bringing these kids together from various schools and various communities to compete in these competitions. So that was kind of the anticipus of our like, you know, start of what we like, oh, wow, we have a, this is a, a startup. Like it started out as really just a small business, man. My, my goal was really to just make money over the summer doing summer camps because I saw how much, you know, UofL was kind of charging uh, for their summer camps. And I'm like, well, we can kind of do that and even better and meet a different need there. So that's kind of where we got started. And um, we were growing, doing well. Um, we had about 2000 students in our program in our first um, year and a half there across the schools. And then the pandemic hit us. And that's kind of where we uh, kind of had to make our pivot from, you know, doing everything in person to launching our online platform. Yeah, and let's uh, let's explore that a little bit. I saw a bunch of really interesting stuff on your all social media and on your website. Uh, the deals in the metaverse. So let's let's divert there for a little bit. We don't have to you know continue on down that for the whole conversation, but let's talk about uh, where the metaverse enters into brainstem and and education in general. I think there's a really interesting conversation we had on that topic. Yeah, man. So um, at the beginning of the pandemic, like I said, we had all these programs going um, after school, in person, at school during the school day, our STEM magnet programs and. We were a year into, you know, from the start of Brainstem. We started Brainstem February 2019 pandemic. Um, our last day shutting down before the pandemic was March 13th, uh, 2020. So um, going into the pandemic, we're like, man, we have all this momentum and it's just all gone <laughs> um, out of nowhere. And, you know, being that I, I taught at the university, I feel like we were one of the first to use the um, the, cat, the platform replacing Blackboard can, Canvas. Um, at the time. So got really familiar with that. I'm like, man, that's a startup. That's pretty cool. So I, I had always had the idea of taking our classes online. And matter of fact, I taught all of my classes at UK kind of online in a hybrid kind of style. So already kind of familiar with that. Um, so during that summer, um, pulled out the old dev, dev hat 
and uh, started working on our first virtual learning environment. So kind of from March to June, we dabbed out our first virtual learning environment, which is kind of a mashup of what I would say, like Yahoo chat room with a Google classroom with a um, Zoom. So we were able to, you know, meet students face to face in our online classroom, give them a space to kind of chat with instructors and their friends in a community style in our Yahoo chat. And then, of course, the classroom, the course materials and whatnot, uh, the digital course library that they were able to access to complete their um, lessons. So that was kind of our first you know, stab. And then we did a completely ro a virtual robotics competition. So we sent out robotics kits to the students and mats and everything, and they kind of completed their task and challenged and sent those videos back into us. So that was kind of our first foray into virtual. And I mean, it went over well. We sold out our robotics class um, and we felt like we were on a good path, but we saw a couple of things that were missing there. Like Zoom school was completely boring. Like everybody hated Zoom school and you didn't have any interaction. It's like the teacher is talking to the student, but the students really didn't get to interact with each other. And there's one on one kind of communication with the teacher. Otherwise, it's just crazy. So what we realized is our um, Yahoo chat room was going well. Students were sharing like their games that they were making. They were um, sharing pictures of just their different creations and talking to the instructors. So we we're like, OK, that's a win. Um, and of course, we need somewhere to you know hold our courses. So the Google Classroom-esque thing was was there. Zoom, we said that has to go. And how do we better communicate with students and give them a better way to communicate with, with each other during the class? And uh, schools had the issues with people showing up on the camera and they probably didn't want to see what they saw. So um, the metaverse was our next kind of you know solution to that. We um, we spent about I say we launched our um, virtual learning environment. Like I said in um, June of 2020, we kind of won the five pitch competitions there um, using that virtual learning environment. So we won Render Capital, we won KY270, we won um, Venture Sharks, we won Rise of the Rest and the Reunion. And that kind of allowed us to um, hire our uh, creative director, uh, David Miller, which um, guy has 25 years of experience in like animation, post-production and 3D uh, design. So um, with my background, I was able to kind of do the back end of the metaverse and he was able to do the front end of the metaverse and we were able to launch. Um, we hired David um, December of 2020 and we launched our metaverse um, in schools August of 2021. So um, we um, launched that with um, a private school here locally, um, St. Francis, and they um, learned uh, Python and Minecraft like coding in the metaverse. So it was all like a meta experience um, around them, like building their characters. And then we uh, launched with JCPS, had 20 schools that participated in our hour of code, kind of a school activity during the school day. And then again on the weekends. So that was kind of our first like big push with the metaverse. We had like 20 schools at one time and we showed that it worked. Like I was able to visit 20 schools in various classrooms, talk to those students about becoming an engineer, about programming. And, um, and that was our, you know, big shift in trying to change our business from being all in person to going on all online to now we're kind of in a more of what I'd say a hybrid state where we have you know, our online kind of going and then we have our in person, but they all meet in the middle because when we're seeing kids one, two hours a week, what are they doing the rest of the week? They want to still be involved and meet the kids that are doing the cool things around STEM. So that's what um, we're building that community around, you know, those STEM, you know, concepts and lessons. And what does the yeah. delivery look like on that? So, you know, when I hear about metaverse, I think VR, but surely you're not delivering all of those headsets to these schools or are you? So what is that? How does the end user, the student interact with the, with the metaverse with you? 
Yeah. So really in our metaverse is, and that's one of the big keys to, um, I think our traction. So we've been able to, you know, get approved in three school districts in a short a period of time. Um, and the key to that is we have a web-based metaverse first off. So you don't need a um, headset or you don't need a gaming computer or anything to kind of get into our, our metaverse. It's, um, all JavaScript based. So, um, you can, it's very low resource. So you can get in on a Chromebook, you can get in on a cell phone, um, pretty much any device that has a browser, you can get in um, to the to our metaverse. The cool thing is, is you can use a headset if you'd like. So um, I just hopped in on our Oculus um, here um, the other day and the kids are going to start doing that. So we just launched this new program, you know, here with uh, JCPS about uh, three weeks ago. So the students are going to start actually launching um, using the, the Oculus, but they're going to start building metaverse rooms and metaverse stores that people can visit um, using, you know, our Oculus. So um, I, I really love being like in that middle ground space of, yes, we can go on the headset or you can just hop on on your computer and play it like a video game. And for yeah, developers and listening, you know, did you build, you mentioned it was JavaScript, but did you use something like uh, Unity or Unreal Engine to build the 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 space or was that some custom code? Yeah, so um, no, we didn't use anything. Uh, we're actually looking, our games are built in Unity right now, but our metaverse, like the multiplayer kind of collaborative portion of our metaverse is built um, using just all web-based technology. So 3JS for any of you all out there that knows the tech stack. So we're using 3JS as our kind of our plat, as our background, I mean, as our, as our like metaverse, uh, library basically um if you want to kind of say that but yeah yeah but i, I think like, that so, future unity will be kind of unity or unreal will probably be one of the things that we use but man um our biggest goal is yeah we have our metaverse and that's you know used for certain like things but really we're gonna connect across metaverses eventually as um, we grow yeah and i think that's a really interesting model because you know being hybrid i don't think that you could sacrifice having the in-person engagement because especially in younger kids, I feel like that's always just going to be so foundational is having that face-to-face -face interaction, being with other students. But I love seeing companies like, like yourself take advantage of this emerging technology that not only allows them, I think one of the most important things you said, it not only allows them to interact with you in this metaverse type uh, environment, but it also allows them to interact with other students, which I feel like is such a big part of school. You know, you're not, you're not only, learning yourself, but you're learning alongside others and you're building those social skills. So I think that's just a really interesting way to go about it. And in your opinion, how does education evolve from here alongside technologies like the metaverse? Do you ever see, you know, like where, where's the line get drawn, I guess is kind of the, the thing I'm most curious about. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, we're going to see a shift in we're seeing, we're already seeing a shift in education, right? Um, more asynchronous learning, um, more students that, um, and it's allowing those students that are ahead to kind of move at their own pace, but also um, those students that are behind to get more one-on-one -on -one help. So I think with, you know, the onset of that just in general, um, one big thing that I'm seeing is students in the same class can hop into virtual classes that are of students that are, you know, meet their same skill set. So that's one big thing. Um, we can keep students together that are on the same skill level, even if you're in various classes. So I see that being uh, one big way for them to use the metaverse. As we you know, go into, like I said, it's more of a 
asynchronous learning. I think that um, motivating kids to actually do these things on their own um, is going to be a big key. So one of our sauces with Brainstem is we use our Brainstem Brain Cycles in the Brainstem Store and Brainstem Rewards to actually reward students for completing their lessons. Um, so as students go through a Brainstem course and complete complete project-based lessons, they earn brain cycles, and then they can use those in the Brainstem store to buy the things that they, you know, like. So that's V-Bucks, Robux, that's VR. We have 3D headsets that they can buy. We have 3D pins that they can buy. We have, um, you know, uh, gaming headsets, gaming mice. So kind of all the things that the kids like, Pokemon, Beyblades, um, just giving them a reason to want to complete these uh, projects. And then we um, hosting those online events or in-person events where they come and actually use those things. So if you want a Beyblade, then you want to come to our Beyblade tournament and use that Beyblade or you want a robot and you want to come and show that off or you created something and you're going to trade or show that off at one of our showcases or events. Students can come and do that. That way, you know, yeah, I saw so-and-so that goes to a different school than me, but I know that I'm going to continue to see them and be able to build that relationship in the metaverse or in person. It sounds like you're trying to build a network effect and this goes hand in hand with, you know, traction. And it sounds like you're building out a case study and you're building out a proof case with, um, you know, there in Louisville, the districts in Louisville and some of the schools there. What, what does this expansion and this network effect expansion look like for you as you grow the company? How, how do you think about that? Yeah, man. So I see a big need for schools for STEM education in general. Um, we're seeing huge attrition in teachers and not to mention, you know, STEM teachers. And I see these programs that are getting cut. Um, I've seen a couple of schools here locally cut STEM uh, teachers and STEM programs completely from ele elementary schools and middle schools. So that's are scary. there, yeah, and that's, that's like, we're doing a huge disservice to like all of our students because that's the future, right? So, I mean, I eventually see that someone's going to come in and say, hey, we need um, to provide, you know, STEM programs at every school. And I don't think that school districts will be able to kind of foot that themselves. And um, I think that something like Brainstem connecting, you know, those communities um, across schools and being a cohesive, cohesive kind of like program between in school and after school, creating like a STEM immersion um, will definitely be a, a place for us to kind of fall there. Um, our big goal is to, you know, inspire these students, like I said, to pursue STEM careers. So. Um, as we, you know, students participate and matriculate through our program um, from our K through career plan, you know, they'll participate in these national competitions. We'll have our brainstem, you know, um, top competitors that we'll send off to do and compete in like some of the top competitions around the world as we kind of build that community um, around brainstem, partnering with universities as they try to recruit these students. Uh, nobody has a real like, you know, you go to um, what's it called? Um, Scouts scouts.com for like high school sports um, and you can go through baseball, football, soccer, but for STEM and for education, can, is there any place where you can go and find out, Hey, this guy competed in every first Lego robotics league. This guy competed in the FRC. He did the national science foundation and um, schools can see that they only see that if, you know, you sign up for their, you uh, I guess apply for their school. Um, you apply for a scholarship or something like that. But I want to see and have proof that this kid has been doing this from elementary school. Like that gives me more confidence that they're going to complete their you know, college curriculum or go on to be this great engineer. If I'm kind of sponsoring that kid or provide them a scholarship as a, you know, a business or a school. Yeah, I love that mentality of taking them all the way through you know, kindergarten, essentially, like get them as young as you can get them, get them exposed to the STEM field and then take them all the way up until 
university. And I love that you're thinking that long-term about it because I think that what that'll do is just create this whole community of those students that have gone through there. And then you start getting, you know, it's hard to tell all the, all the different benefits you get from that, but things like students wanting to, to give back and pour back into that community. Well, one of them would be, you know, here in Kentucky alone, we're about 3000. So Nick such, and, and I talked about this recently at awesome Inc in Kentucky alone, uh, we're about 3000 jobs short in the tech space. Uh, whether that's development, electrical engineering, you know, mainly along the development and technology route, we're about 3,000 short. So if you start them early, especially here in our own state, you know, that that number could be uh, decreased. You know, yeah. we could basically make a dent in that. Is and what I, I guess I see here off the back of that comment, um, the, have you received any support from from the state or really any other organizations that have a vested interest in seeing more of those roles get filled or or education be done in a better way? Has there been any? Any support from any organizations like that? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like businesses that you think would be kind of trying to support that pipeline, um, haven't had a lot of, you know, like strong connections or, you know, partnerships there. Um, and I think that that's, and that's kind of not due to, uh, I would say it's probably due to kind of our age group that we kind of uh, really hit early on um, in our, you know, in our journey. I would say we started out trying to hit, you know, high school students and parents weren't really into that, signing their high school students up for kind of STEM programming. And like, oh, my kid, if my kid isn't already into this or geeking out about like learning programming or engineering, then I'm not like doing that. Like my kid's not going to do that. So we um, really got strong traction with K through five early on, um, I would say within our, when our first year of programming. So we um, really hit that area. And then in the last um, post pandemic, I think it's kind of opened up more to the middle school and high school students. So it's kind of been um, a a bit of a, a journey there. I think like K through five is a little bit too early for some of those businesses that, um, and for K through five, it's really all marketing for them. Yeah, like it's not really, you know, they're the chances of them getting that student to their company or whatever it, are very small. Um, starting out with K through five, I mean, even eighth grade, um, I think is really hard, but um, as we, you know, get more into the high school students, I think we can find more support, uh, from those, uh, local, um, businesses, but, um, and even, even college students, because what I realized is, um, when I graduated college, the only thing I was confident in was programming. And because I'd actually, you know, programmed and built a product, you know, from start to finish in college. Um, and I think that, too oftentimes that students learn all of these skills or learn all of this theory and not real skills that are going to help them, you know, build and create. So I think that um, if we can find that niche, like I said, that K through career, we're helping, you know, those high school students get those internships. We're helping them learn those skills into college. Um, I think that that gives businesses a lot more reason to kind of support, you know, brainstem and to build that pipeline. Then if they're already seeing that kind of bubble at the top over here of, high school students. And then they're like, okay, yeah, let me get more students into that pipeline. They're looking pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I think that yeah. that's kind of what we're proving, like you said there. Yeah, for sure. I could see that being kind of a later stage thing. I think, I just think what you're doing is a really important thing. Cause I view our education system as broken in a lot of ways, especially just the way we compensate our teachers and the attrition rate that you mentioned. And you know, especially dropping programs in STEM altogether, I think is a terrible, terrible thing. So I guess I look to like the state of Kentucky's government to be like, provide some support to organizations that are moving us in the right direction. 
Um, but that's more so wishful thinking on my part in, in some ways. Um, but as we kind of uh, wrap up the, the conversation here, one of the places we always like to get feedback from founders on is just what their experience has been like building in their ecosystem. So you're, you're based up in Louisville. You've worked with a bunch of Louisville uh, organizations, schools, and University of Louisville. Um, so just give us some feedback on on Louisville's startup ecosystem. It could be, you know, here's what here's what's going well. Here's what could be going better. Uh, we just want to be able to, you know, hear your experience and then give that to the ecosystem in hopes that, you know, there are ways that we can improve or things we can double down on and do better. Yeah, um, I would say from a, I'll go to the good side first. Um, from uh, the Louisville ecosystem has been, you know, great at, you know, being willing, if you have a, a solution to a problem, um, I haven't had a problem, you know, talking to someone or getting in touch with, you know, someone that might need, you know, our programming or someone interested in our programming and people making those connections, you know, for us, like, I would say uh, 75% of our business comes from word of mouth or, you know, someone connecting us with, you know, the next person. Um, I don't, typically cold call too many people. People typically call me and say, hey, I heard about your program or someone told me about your program. So that's one of the things I think um, is great about um, Louisville. Um, the um, the community support, like I, I people often like say that um, Louisville um, doesn't support, you know, each other as far as like business wise. I think that we get great support um, from, you know, people that use, you know, Brainstem, but also just the community in general, um, just from, I think, the work that we do. Um, people um, have really just become, you know, I guess attuned to our brand and um, what we do and how we inspire kids. Um, so I think that that's been really cool. Now, the downsides of of growing a business here in Louisville is that I don't think that businesses are used to working with startups. So um, if you're used to working with uh, Apple and Brainstem comes in, then that business process is a little bit different than uh, probably working with an Apple. They um, have way more funding for overhead. Um, we have way more funding for these sales meetings. So they can do 10 meetings with you before, you know, <laughs> you get a, um, you get a contract or a sale uh, versus us. We're like, all right, we have four meetings. Like, all right, is this worth it or not? So I think that um, on the, on the grounds of supporting startups, we need to do a lot of work with our local businesses because I don't think that they, one, you know, know how to support um, local uh, well, startups. And then some don't want to take the risk on, on a startup, right? Like, um, but that's where we're going to see the real growth is if we take risk on the businesses in our own backyard and we get a couple of home runs, that's when we'll really see, you know, that momentum start to pick up in our Kentucky, you know, ecosystem start to change as a whole. But I think we need better education of our executives um, in our businesses that, you know, can support and take um, and use the products that are being provided by some of our uh, startup companies. So I think that that's a big thing. And then on the fundraising, you know, side of things, um, it's been we haven't raised any funds. We won all those pitch competitions across the <laughs> across the state, but we haven't been able to raise any funds, you know, beyond those uh, pitch competitions. And that's um, mainly due to the fact that we haven't been able to secure a lead. And um, Kentucky VCs just don't lead, and that's mm -hmm. um, that creates a big problem for us when you talk about tech. Um, I'm a founder in Kentucky building a metaverse. And you want me to go and find a lead probably from like California, Chicago, <laughs> or, you know, something like that. And that's really tough um, for us um, here in Kentucky. Who believes a 
I mean, a guy from Kentucky is building a metaverse and it's going to be successful. Like that's a hard story to sell, even if I can show you my traction, I can show you, you know, what we've built so far. Um, and even if we're ahead of other companies, you know, doing this, um, it's really hard to kind of sell that out of Kentucky if I don't have the faith or backing of a Kentucky, you know, VC already. Like, why isn't no one in Kentucky like leading your deal or or whatever? Like, I think that makes it really tough for us to go outside of kind of the state and get money. Now, um, so that's um, I would say the, the the good and the the bad of you know what we've experienced. Um, I think that from a VC standpoint, um, even the our VCs can do a better job of you know, supporting our local startups by, you know, helping make some of those connections um, with those local businesses and building those connections themselves, because they, I mean, potentially could, you know, be the person that makes that, okay, yeah, take that risk. I trust this guy. They're building this company. They could break that ice that they should kind of be having those conversations with those local businesses to, you know, create those bridges more so than me as a startup founder, like I'm coming, you know, trying to convince so-and-so that, hey, you should take a, a you know, risk with, you know, our startup. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, I, I definitely resonate with, just real quick, Evan, I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying about uh, Kentucky investors not wanting to lead. That's been a big challenge for the startup I'm with trying to find several investors in Kentucky saying, yeah, we're, we want to put in X amount, um, but we, we want you to find a lead first. We'll be a follow-on check. It's been a big challenge. Yeah. I mean, the the two things that I noticed when I did my pre-seed round and I'm doing my seed round now, and I'm probably not going to talk to a whole lot of local investors from a lead perspective, but the thing I noticed was lack of sophistication around what we were building, which is fintech. I'm sure you run into the same thing on the metaverse. You know, investors around here just have never touched anything like that. Fintech, you know, metaverse, you know, they just don't see that in their day-to-day lives. Their wealth was built in more conservative industries. Uh, and then the other one is, I mentioned it there, they're just naturally more conservative and, you know, they do more due diligence. They look at a pre-seed company like, you know, you or I, and they say, what's your revenue? You know, what's your, what's your margins? What can I expect, you know, as a return on capital on this? And we're like, well, this is a pre-seed company. They're asking the wrong questions. Uh, and that just comes with the lack of sophistication and conservatism. Uh, yeah, and that's mean- just something we've got to fight. And to your point, I wish there were more people around here that could connect us to the coast because that's how I was able to raise, you know, money for Simba was I got connected to the coast and for the foreseeable future, that will be where I look because that's where I have to look. And so that, that was kind of my experience too. Yeah, man. I think like, I mean, like you said, um, Kentucky has conservative money and when you are trying to conserve money, you're not putting it in startups, you're putting it in, you know, safer bets like real estate or, you know, stocks and I mean, bonds or something like that. So I feel like um, that's what we yeah, we have to, like you said, educate our investors um, in Kentucky and, you know, find those investors that are willing to be a little bit more risky, you know, in their investments, because uh, that's what it's going to take if we're going to, you know, see our ecosystem kind of change. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's also about putting like pressure on the investor ecosystem, because there's a lot of investors in our ecosystem that are just kind of doing it to, you know, diversify their portfolio and do something fun because they've been doing, like you said, real estate or manufacturing or more conservative industries their whole life. And now they've got maybe some money and now they're trying to dip their toes in technology startups, but they're just kind of out of their, out of their comfort zone. They don't understand how to communicate with us and how to invest. And there's, that's kind of frustrating. So I think we need to keep the pressure on them to try to change that ecosystem and bring more people that are more sophisticated into it. Cause yeah. there's a lot of young people that have now made their wealth and 
need to diversify or need to start exploring angel investing. And the only way to do that is to put pressure on the ecosystem in general and, and get more conversation about that. Because like I said, it's kind of a dog and pony show. The more you go around to some of these angel groups in, in Kentucky, yeah, uh, it's kind of frustrating. And on the back of that, I think one of the things that needs to happen that is, we've been hearing this for a while, I think it would be huge for the ecosystem is some sort of liquidation event or exit that uh, can instill some sort of culture of like, oh shit, this can't happen in Kentucky. Like we had, we had an exit and it made a few millionaires. And then that just creates that culture of, you know, cap venture capitalists being a little bit more confident that it can happen here. And I think it's part of it's a cultural thing, like Evan was saying with, with being conservative. Um, but yeah, so first off, thank you so much for, for coming on here and giving us all these perspectives. I, I personally am very excited with what you're doing. I have said for a long time that uh, I would love for middle tech to, to be able to contribute to a cause like what you're doing uh, in some way or another, because I just believe it's such, you know, kids are the future, like our students are the future. And if we're not giving them the good foundation that they need to go out and solve the huge problems that we're going to be facing here over the next, you know, couple of, a uh, couple of decades, then, you know, what good, are, what good are we doing ourselves? We're putting ourselves in a bad position. So before we let you go, um, we just want to give you a chance to, to plug your website and your social media channels, anything that you want to point our audience to, uh, let them know where they can find you. Yeah. Find us at brainstemu.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-S-T-E-M-U, the letter U.com. Um, and we're on all social media channels. Um, it's brainstemu or brainstem university. Um, be on the lookout for events coming up in October. We'll be doing some, uh, STEM maker events, um, on Saturdays for the youth and adults. So family events. So check us out, um, for October and be on the lookout for more events as we, you know, go into the fall. Awesome, man. Well, best of luck to you as you continue building this out. If there's anything that middle tech can do to, to help you don't hesitate to reach out. All right, man. Appreciate you guys for having me, man. And keep making moves. Well, do, dude. Talk to you soon. All right, man.